an hour block if I get up and go. <laughs> I guess I should have. That was a good stop because I need to acknowledge my guest here, our guest, David and Kathy Harrison, who's sitting right over here. Now, he doesn't have a clue who in the world I am, but I've noticed him for, uh, I met him many, many years ago. I can't even remember when it was, but it's been a long time. So I knew right who he was when he walked in the door. And uh, he's visiting with us this morning, ministers, has a full-time ministry, ministering to the heart of hearing. And if you're hard of hearing, he'd like to talk to you. <laughs> okay? I like this here. On the front of his little brochure, you see that parachute? It says, hearing loss without understanding is like skydiving without instructions. That makes it pretty rough, doesn't it? Okay. So, he would like to talk with you. I, I want to share with you, too, a little words of wisdom that I picked up from... Tom, Brother Tom this morning about the how valuable it is to get here early because if you do you don't have to worry about somebody getting your seat I said that Tom that's a real problem in this church now <laughs> you got to get here early <laughs> you know everything will be okay all right that's it for today okay we want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6. Now, one little thing I learned today, and I don't, I've never had this issue come up before. And uh, that's profound. When I copied my verses and pasted them, it printed the verse, but it didn't print, print the reference. So you don't have it. So you're going to have to have me tell you in order where, where they are. The verses are there. You just don't know where they're at. Well, you might recognize them, I guess, but you don't know where they're at. So we'll work on that. All right, you see at the top there this whole idea of deception, to deceive. I think this is something we often overlook. We don't think about of what is going on in the spiritual realm when it comes to the truth of the Word of God. Now, you see there, just a plain old dictionary definition, deceive, means to cause a person to believe what is not true. You say, well, that's pretty self-evident. Um, it implies a deliberate misrepresentation of facts by words, deeds, generally to further one's own ends. Or it means to lead another into error or danger or a disadvantageous position by underhand means. Craftiness, guile, deceit are all words and many more uh, outright lies associated with this idea of deception. So we're going to look at a couple of areas here. One is, you see the first one there, those doing the deceiving. And Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6, it says there, Let no man deceive you. With vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children, or literally they're the sons, of disobedience. Now that word uh, cometh is the present tense, it's coming. The wrath of God is come 
upon the sons of disobedience. And when he says there, let no man deceive you, we better find out what it is he's talking about here. Deceived about what? Well, if you go back to verse 1, he's admonishing the Ephesian believers here at Ephesus. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But, and this gets important, fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. That's, now you think about how widespread that is in the church today. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, That was a hard one for me. Foolish talking, nor jesting. Coarse talk, in other words. Which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now he says, let no man deceive you. Deceive you about what? Deceive you about the sins which will keep you from your inheritance, which will hold us back prevent us from gaining our inheritance. Which, by the way, this inheritance, he says, is in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ. And so here, deceiving, he says, is with empty words, vain words. And so these empty, vain words he's talking about are words that would negate or belittle the kinds of sins which will prevent us from obtaining our inheritance. And we really don't, obviously don't have the time today to go back and look at something that, for a message like this, really it is foundational to understand that an inheritance is something that a Christian can gain or he can lose. Now we've been you've been over that many times, and it's not something to take lightly. The next verse, right below that one, Deuteronomy thirty-two twenty. And of course, you don't have to turn in your Bible there, so you've got it right in front of you. Deuteronomy thirty-two twenty says, "And he said, I will hide my face from them." I will see what their end uh, uh, will be, for they are a very forward or perverse generation, children, or literally, again, here in the Old Testament, sons, in whom is no faith, or as some translate it, they say no faithfulness, no loyalty, no steadfastness. In other words, they don't stick with what they claim they will do. 
And so here he's talking about the children of God who had claimed to bind themselves to Jehovah with the covenant they made at Mount Sinai. And you remember just a week ago or so, we looked at that and he said, all that you have, you have said, we will do. And so then Moses took the blood, he sprinkled it on the tablets, he sprinkled it on the people and made that covenant binding upon the nation of Israel. And yet they turned. They fell away and fell into these sins. And he tells them here, they're a perverse generation, sons in whom is no faith. They lost their faith, their faithfulness. They were disloyal. And it cost them dearly. Now, the next passage there, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, says, let no man deceive you by any means for except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition in order to figure that one out you'll have to turn there because I see right now what else happened there and I didn't notice that (laughs) my italicized words didn't print either Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, an apostasy, a departure. Just as these Old Testament saints departed from the Lord in the wilderness before they ever arrived at the promised land to receive their inheritance, they fell away from the Lord and they walked in sin and God judged them for it. And because of that, they were not allowed to receive their inheritance. And they did not enter into the promised land. Now, this is nothing different than what Paul's telling us regarding our inheritance. And the writer of Hebrews says there remains yet a rest for the people of God. There is an inheritance for God's people. Just like the the land of Canaan was a rest for the people of God there... So we have a rest, an inheritance, and it can be gained or it can be lost. Now, um, back over here in Ephesians, in chapter 5, I don't want to leave that just yet. I want us to just look at some things here. Back in Ephesians chapter 5, notice some, some things that Paul says here. In the midst of all of these sins that he talks about, he mentions three things here, four, that we should take note of that are on the positive side. First, in verse uh, 2, he says, walk in love. One of the things that should be characteristic of God's people is walking in love. And if you look down at verse 4, he gives us another one. He says at the end of that verse, but rather giving of thanks. A sweet 
thankful, gracious attitude. Verse 8. After this warning about deception, he says in verse 7, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. With them who? With them the sons of disobedience. Do not share in the things that they participate in. You know, that's why the Bible teaches separation. Why you should not identify with such things nor participate in such things. And then in verse 8, he says, at the end of that verse, he says, walk as children of light. Why would we do that? Because once you you were in darkness. Now you're a child of light. Now he's admonishing them, walk as a person who's in the light. And you know what the whole problem with this is? Is that though we be in the light... And we saw some time back in the book of Colossians with that little word in, and in the Greek it's en, and it has to do with being in the sphere of. Remember that? And there it says, He has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And the word translate means. What you think it means. It means to get up and move from one area over to another one. Just to move. And it says there that God has translated us, moved us from one area, realm, to another. From the realm of darkness to the realm of light. And you know, in Colossians, Paul admonished them to walk in the light. He didn't say the same words. Just like he did the Christians at Ephesus. Walk in the light. If this is the realm in which which God has placed you, this is how we're to live our lives. The only problem is, too many times, God's people choose not to walk in the light. We choose to go back in our old life and walk in the realm of darkness and do the things we used to do rather than separating yourself from those things. You were sometimes darkness, but now you're children of light. Walk that way. In verse 9, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. You see, Christians can do that. They can fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. It happens all the time. What they don't realize is what it's going to cost in the future. What it does to you both now in your daily walk as well as what's to come in the future. Why he says in verse 12, It's a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in in secret. But all things are uh, reproved. Uh, that are reproved, are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Consequently, he says, in, in, in light of that, back in verse 11, he says, reprove them. Reprove them. How? By walking in the light. By re- rejecting their deception. 
In other words, when somebody tries to say, well, you know, man, I just listened to a preacher on, on TV for about just a few couple minutes this morning, and he was talking about um, the issue of homosexuality. And you can gloss over that so easily, and people accept it today. You would, you know, 30 years ago or 40 or 50, you never would have dreamed such a thing would ever been commonplace and accepted in church. But it is today. Reprove them, he says. Now, look at verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. If you are in that position where you have been transferred from that darkness to light, but now you're going back and walking in the darkness, he says, Awake, you that sleep, and arise, and Christ shall give you light. So then we have our next admonition in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. <coughs> Not as fools, but as wise. Now that word circumspectly, <clears throat> it was a hard word. The definition means walk exactly. And the implication is contextually there, walk right. And you better walk carefully, faithfully, diligently, according to the word of God. Because to walk any other way has consequences to it. Now, over in Colossians, we just I mentioned Colossians. I want to turn over to Colossians chapter 2. And he uses this word over here. Again, there are several words, by the way, translated deceive or deceit, deceiver, um, guile and beguiled. In verse 4, he uses one of these words here. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Now, beguile, again, kind of just has that ring to it. It sounds and means kind of like what it sounds like. Trickery. Subtlety. And the warning is, Lest any man should beguile you, deceive you with false reasoning. And that's what the word means. To deceive you with false reasoning. And with enticing words. <clears throat> I think of... <laughs> I think of one person... When I, when I think of a verse like that, I think of Joel Osteen. Thousands of people. And he squints them eyes and spits out those, spews out those uh, sweet words. And people just take it in right and left. Some 20,000 people come to that one central location, one building. Every Sunday, just to hear that. But what, what is it going to pay in the end? Today, it may be paying off short term. But in the end, it's going to be very costly. And it's very disheartening to even think about it. You can, you can become very discouraged when you think about all 
the course of this world, the course of this present age, or the spirit of the age in which we presently live. And it's going down fast. And if you look at Revelation chapter 3, and we took considered the church of Laodicea, and the conditions that were inherent in the church in that day, it's, you know, it's, it, it gets a lot easier to see that we are in that kind of a condition. We are in that kind of a situation. And even then, it's almost hard to believe when you look at how bad the church is today. And I don't mean to belabor that, but I do mean to belabor that. Because that's just the way it is. Uh, In verse 8. He says there, beware lest any man spoiled you or lead you off, captivate you through philosophy and vain deceit, empty deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now, the kinds of things he's talking about here, to beguile you with false reasoning, empty deceit. True, um, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> philosophy, the rudiments of the world, the elementary things of the world. And what happens is somebody who begins with, a, with a, an assumed or a false premise. In other words, they start their argument, they start their logical reasoning with an assumed thought that you may or may not agree with, I think contextually here what he's talking about is is that you are duped into accepting this assumed premise or this false premise. And then through logic, they build their reasoning off of that and come to their conclusion. And what he's telling us here is that God's people... Those who are holding out by faith for the hope that he has given us of sharing in that future rule with Jesus Christ are duped, deceived, taken in. Or when he says spoil you, you're carried away, captivated, taken off by these thoughts. And all of a sudden, you'll hear about somebody running away with this, what? I got this new truth. And it just consumes them. And and it's what they live for until the next one comes along. When the scripture tells us about not being carried about by every wind of doctrine that comes along, he's talking about loyalty, faithfulness, being steadfast. The opposite of what he's warning us against here and how we can easily be taken in by the very same thing. I've done that. And so have you. You've accepted 
things that people have told you, either through a Bible message or in a Bible class. Somebody taught you something about some doctrine of the Bible, and you didn't question it at all. You just accepted it. They know more than I do. He's been to seminary. He's got his doctor's degree. He's been preaching for 40 years or whatever other reasoning comes your way. You just accept what they say. And then one day, my eyes were opened. And I guess I'm sort of like Nelson here. He said, I just don't trust anything anymore. You got to check it all out. Everything anybody says, you better check it out. And I've had to check out a few things I've learned from people that preach and teach on the kingdom. And understand kingdom truth. And I don't believe all of, I don't believe all that either. <laughs> it is so important to go to the scripture and believe what the word of God says. Now I've heard people say, well, I see what you're saying. I understand what the Bible says there, but ooh, and that's the dangerous turning point right there in it. But I've always believed this, or I was taught this. That scares the daylights out of me. I would rather rush to the Word of God and hold fast to that than what somebody taught me 40 years ago. Well, I've never heard that before. Well, so what? If you're hearing it now and it's true to the Word of God, then you ought to grab a hold of it and cling to it with all your life and don't let go of it. Colossians 2.18 Notice over there, let no man beguile you, defraud you, rob you of your reward. Now those words there, beguile you of your reward, are really the translation of one word in Greek. Let no man give judgment, and that's what the word means, to arbitrate against or to judge against you. Let no man speak against you. Concerning your, the prize is the way one translator put it. Or as this one says here, I don't know if you notice it there. Uh, it says uh, uh, this man named Coverdale, Miles Coverdale, who one of the very, very early translations. Let no one who delights in humility... Or chooses to walk in, as he said it, humility and the worship of angels pass judgment on you. And that's what this verse is doing. Because he says here, in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. In other words, he's talking here. And when he says, chooses to delight in, he takes a certain amount of pride in this humbleness that he has. And yet Paul says he's not, he's not lowly at all. He's puffed up, actually. And when that person tries to pass judgment on you, he says, he warns you, don't let him do it. Don't let him defraud you, rob you of what you know the truth to be. You see, this all, you know, you wonder sometimes, why is it always so hard? Why are we the ones 
Why are those who cling to Christ and the Messiah and his kingdom gospel, why, why is all the pressure coming our way? Why is it so easy to go the other way? I, I hope you ask yourself that question. I did it all, I do it all the time. I question. We got the, we got the hard path. It's a difficult way. But it wasn't easy for the children of Israel either, either as they passed through the wilderness. And it's that well-known or understood by many at least principle of what is called, philosophically at least, deferred gratification. And it's a principle that God has imposed upon us that if we defer our gratifications, our desires, then there comes a greater one, far outweighing what we've given up now for what we can have later. So we do that in many things. Now, my wife will do that almost every day. She'll go do something around the house. She said, when I get this done, and this is her thinking. I don't think this way, but her thing is, this is my treat. I'll get to go sit down and read a magazine, or I'll get to eat this, or, you know, some other such thing. Others, you know, we may do it over a longer period of time. I'm going to save my money for X amount of time, and then I'm going to go buy such and such an item. That's deferred gratification. You're putting it off. For a later time. But it's not always easy to put it off, is it? It's hard. And the flesh says, I want it now. And sometimes we give in to it. How do we do that? Well, you just reach back here and you open up like this. You get that little piece of plastic right there. And you say, I want it now. I can't wait. And those kinds of choices are made every day. Let me tell you, those kind of choices are made in the spiritual realm as well. By those who have every bit of passion and desire to want to be in Christ's kingdom when he comes back, to share in the rule of Christ with him, and yet cannot practice this little principle here. It's a hard one, and it gets in our way. I do that with hot dogs and hamburgers. Got to have it now. But that's another story. We're going to get in on me. I'm... Let's look at that. If you're on page two there, the second page, um, the, the second verse down. As Second John one seven, where it says, "For many deceivers, for many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist." Now, this is a different word altogether from all the others we've been studying. Planos. It's where we get our word, and you'd be amazed to think about this planet the word planet now how can a our earth a planet 
What does that have to do with deception? Well, the word here means to wander astray. And the idea behind this was stars, you remember, and we, well, no, that was, if you weren't here New Year's Eve, you missed that part. Stars are fixed in place. When people sail the ocean or I guess sometimes even flying in an airplane and you, or, or, or you fix yourself on a star, you know, you can do what's called celestial navigation. Those stars are dependable. They're in the same place all the time. They don't move. But planets don't do that. Planets are the ones who wander. See, they, they, they circumnavigate the star, just like our planet goes around the sun. And so you get the idea behind what he's talking about here, a deceiver, one who wanders and goes astray. And he tells us there in Second John that many deceivers, he says, are entered into the world, those going astray. And he identifies this one as an antichrist. Now the next one, 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And there we have our word again. Seducing spirits. Wandering spirits. Spirits that lead away off of the path. Now this whole idea for this message, I got all got started because somebody made a comment about a verse that talked about a path. And I got to thinking about that, and I was going to do a whole different message on how the word path is used in the Scriptures and how you and I are to walk on the straight and narrow path and stay on it and not wander off the path. But then I got over onto this. But that's what he's talking about. That's what this word here has reference to. Could you imagine if our earth, our planet, would wander off in space or somewhere else on its own? What that would do? Well, then take the same idea and picture a Christian who has done what those Old Testament believers did when they covenanted with God and said, what you have said we will do, and then they don't do it. See, yeah, it was Ezekiel. Remember what Ezekiel said about that? About the ones who said, ah, we'll do it. And then they don't do it. Actually, Jesus taught about it too. He said, but what about the one that says, I won't do it? The son who says, I won't go to the vineyard, but then he turns around and does it. Which one is God going to bless? So making a commitment to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to follow him. You may be a believer in Jesus Christ, but to be a disciple and commit to following him and then following through on that commitment is another thing altogether. And to not do so, to not do so is what I'm trying to emphasize this morning, this matter of deception and the cost that it will be if we don't pay attention, to be on our guard. Now, you'll see the next thing there. We can deceive ourselves. We can be deceived by others, 
But we can delude ourselves by our own false reasoning. The first one there is 1 Corinthians 3.18. 1 Corinthians 3.18, and it says, Let no man deceive himself. Well, you'll see there, the word is exapatao. It just means to... And the word ex is on the front. It's a, it's a um, prefix, which like many others, adds intensity to that word. It means to deceive yourself fully or wholly, completely. And so the warning there is a very strong one. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Now, if we look at that passage, which is, we said, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you may remember right well quick that that's context of that verse as to, is Paul's dealing with the judgment seat of Christ. And he warns about building on a foundation and taking care with how you build. And then he warns about those who would destroy God's temple. In verse 16, speaking and 17, speaking about there about the church. And so then he concludes, somewhat at least, he concludes in that passage with this entire teaching and a, a, a warning about the judgment seat of Christ, don't deceive yourself. We can do that. First John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And that's our word, go astray. And the truth is not in us. So to deny ourselves, you know, to deny our very own sin is one of those things that will cause us to get off the path and to wander away and depart from the faith. Cast it off, as it were, like Demas. James 5.20 says, Let him know that he which converts the sinner, that is, you turn one back from the error of his way, and that word error there is the feminine form of this same word, planos, to go astray, let him know that he which turns that sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. So there's a valid part for you and I to play in approaching other people who have departed from the faith to see if you could turn that person from the error of his way back to the path of truth and righteousness in Christ. Back in the same book there, James chapter 1, verse 22. 
You'll see there that he says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And that word there, deceiving, is a different one altogether from the others. Paralagitsamai. means to reason falsely. You know, logitsamai, you might have guessed, you've heard it before, uh, from the word logos. A thought, a message, a word. And then para. To reason falsely from, or to think about falsely from something else. And to deceive yourselves by false reasoning. That's why you have to go back to this. Don't rest upon something outside the scriptures and reason from that, but reason from what God has given us here. He's, he's given us this divine revelation for a reason. 2 Corinthians 2.17, the last verse there at the bottom of the page, and I actually had more verses in that, but I didn't get them printed, I guess. Oh, no, I didn't either. I got them there. The only safeguard, the word of God. That's what I wanted to look at. And just a couple, I'm only going to take time to look at a couple here. I want to look at 2 Corinthians 4, 2. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 2, where he says there, Paul says, Seeing we have received this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, if you'll turn back just a couple, well, one page for me, back to chapter 2 and verse 17, where Paul says there in verse 17 of chapter 2, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. But as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Well, that was Paul's position, and that's what I desire to do, is to not be a corrupter of the Word of God, to not adulterate it, to not water it down, but simply to accept it as it is in truth. And if it goes against all convention, all standard church doctrines, whatever it be, this is where I'm going to stand. And you know what? You do so. I think people sometimes must think, you know, well, that's great. That's just really wonderful there. But if you also understand the severity of the judgment seat of Christ then you might also understand the commitment to adhere to the Word of God above all else. And that's important, because it's not going to be worth it in the end. And that, that's... Oh, man, I told you, sometimes I can hardly study through these things, and if you feel like you've been... Bang over here, bang. I mean, I don't mean God's beating you up or whipping on you, you know, but you're thinking, man, I have so many things I've got to work on. And all I can think of is, well, so does Jack. (laughs) 
No, I'm just kidding, Jack. I just, I think, well, we all do. No matter what face we put on when we walk through the door of the church, I know you're just like me. And we're all walking on that same straight and narrow path, fighting the same struggles, working, and we should be working, by the way. Scripture uses the word strive, labor intently for this faith. Contend for it, Jude said. And it's something we have to do very, not only diligently, but we better do it very carefully. Because he also said, you better do it by how? Cutting the word straight. King James translate that as rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, that's the sign right there. Cut it straight. And don't mince words. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the power of your word, the privilege of your word. And what it does to the heart and soul of a person who has fallen in love with Jesus Christ, who is determined to follow you at all costs. And Lord, it's a scary thing sometimes to consider what we have lying before us as we think of the trials, the tribulations, and the course of this world and the condition of the church as we approach the end of this age. And how I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might be full of the knowledge of Messiah and be committed to following him no matter what the cost may be. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. We always do just a very simple invitation. We normally only sing one verse of a song. Um, my position is, you know, if you are seeking the Lord, you love his word, then it shouldn't take you long to decide what to do. Now, I remember when I stood before the Lord and I was trying to, I wanted to commit my life to the Lord. <laughs> and I, of course, you know, things, I was green as can be. And here I am, went to church and, and this, you know, I was picked up my hymn book and. I was ready to sing the first verse, but sent over more and got the words out of my mouth. And I mean, conviction just hit me so hard I could hardly stand it. And I just put it right back down and walked down to the front of the church and made my desires known that I want to dedicate my life to the Lord. And ever since then, and I have no explanation for it, all I can tell you is I've had a passion to know the truth of God's Word, not just what somebody told me, but what the truth is. And I'm very, very thankful for it. Brother Bob.